Um, <clears throat> about five or six years ago, I think it was more like six years ago, I was introduced to a course that we now run at Connect Church, and that course was called Living Free. Have some of you heard of the course? Okay, some of you have heard it, and now some of you have actually done the course. And um, in doing this course, I began to realize something that I'd always known, and yet it wasn't something that I used to focus on all that often. And, and, and it's this, that there is an unseen realm that is just as real as the seen realm that we're in, and that unseen realm is having an impact on our lives, it's having an impact on other people's lives, it's having an impact on our culture, it's having an impact on the nation, and it's even having an impact on our church. So, and on that course, for those who've done the course will know this, you are taught to ask a question. That's the title of my sermon. What's really going on? It's a critical question that we as Christians need to be asking all the time. What's really going on? Let me give you an example of what I mean. Is this difficult situation just happening? Or is there something more going on? Make sense? Another question, is a difficult marriage or a strained marriage just one of those things that people go through? Well, if you're married, you know you're going to go through a difficult time. Why do things like selfishness and jealousy arise in the church? I mean, you're all lovely believers, know the Lord, born again. And yet I find all over the show in churches, there's division, there's all these kinds of things, there's jealousy. That have, where does that come from? Another question, is a persistent lack of joy and zeal simply due to personality? Well, I'm quite a negative person. That's the way that I am, and so there's this lack of joy. I always tend to be more critical, always see the negative side of things. Is that just one of those things that a personality, well, I must live with that because that's the kind of person I am. Is bad health just something that's happening? Are wars and famines just things that are happening? These are, that's what I mean when we talk about the question, what's really going on. Let me give you briefly two examples of what I'm talking about from the Bible. Have some of you heard of a guy by the name of Job? Put up your hand. Some of you have. Okay. Did you remember that Job wasn't just having a bad run? By the way, if you ever hear somebody saying to you, I'm having a Job experience, you need to question that. I don't think there are many people on the face of the earth that have a Job experience. Now, I want you to remember something about Job. Job never knew what was happening in the unseen realm, he didn't have the book of Job to read. Do you know that? Have you ever realized that Job was just going through stuff and facing the stuff, but he couldn't pull out his Bible and say, let me have a quick read about Job. We know it today because we've got the story. But he didn't have it. But for those, those who know the story, he lost his kids. He lost his business. He lost his health. His wife was telling him to curse God and die, and his friends were all saying the reason this is happening is because you've sinned against God. And they were all wrong. 
Because we know from the story that in the heavens, the enemy or Satan came into the presence of God and he said to God, Job only praises you because of the way you bless him. And God said he doesn't. And Satan had one goal. He wanted Job to turn away from God and stop praising him. And may I say to you today, there are times when we go through testing for the same reason. You will remember that uh, Jesus one day said to Peter, Satan has asked for permission. I'm putting it in my words because that's what it means. Satan has asked for permission to test you. And Jesus said, and you're going to deny me three times. So that, there's one example. Here's another example. And this example is maybe one that you're less familiar with. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a man by the name of Elisha. Some of you heard of Elisha. You've heard of Elijah. Elisha was his follow-up, his successor. And Elisha is in a city called Dothan. He's in the city with his servant. And that city had a wall around it. That's how people, people would protect themselves in those days. And his servant woke up one morning, decided to have a coffee break, got his cup of coffee, went to sit on the wall, probably to check the view out. And there, as he began to look around him, there was an army surrounding the city, and that army wanted to take Elisha and his servant captive. And he hits a panic, like we all do when we're in trouble like that. And he runs to Elisha and he says, Elisha, do you realize we're in trouble? And Elisha probably had one of those knowing smiles that wiser and older and more mature Christians have. And he says to the, the Lord, Lord, why don't you just open his eyes for a minute? And, and what God does, just for a little while, he opens his eyes and he's able to see this unseen realm. And what the servant of Elisha sees blows him away because he says, there is another army that I now see. It's the, it's the army of heaven. And, he's, and he makes the statement, some of you will have remembered the statement, more are those who are with us than those who are against us. And here's the thing I want you to notice. The moment he saw what was happening in the unseen realm, his fear went, his worry and anxiety went, and it all changed to a totally different approach. Now we know what we're going to do about our problem. And sometimes when we're aware of what's happening in the unseen realm, our approach to what's happening in our lives, in this world, in the seen reality, begins to change. So that's a little bit of what I, I want to talk about from, from Genesis chapter 3 uh, this morning. It's a well-known account, you all know it. It's the story of Adam and Eve, uh, where they are tempted by a talking serpent or a talking snake, uh, they end up sinning against the Lord, and then there are all the consequences uh, that follow. But Genesis chapter 3, and this is really what I want to hone in on, Genesis chapter 3 answers this question, what's really going on here? What's really going on behind the scenes? And I think the first thing that this chapter 3 alerts us to is what you see up there, is the activity of the enemy. The activity of the enemy. God has created a perfect world. 
And God, in fact, when he looks at creation, he said, I saw that everything was not only good, he said was very good. God has created man in his own image. And he says to man, this man and this woman, Adam and Eve, I want you to rule over everything that I have created. And then you come to chapter 3, and the chapter 3 starts off with this, it's almost jarring. You get this, suddenly you're introduced to a talking snake. It's like, where does he come from? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us where he comes from. And this talking snake starts to stir up doubt about God's goodness. And he begins to suggest that God has got anything less than our best interests at heart. Listen to it. Now the serpent, I think it's there for you. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I want you to maybe just even to say this with me. The serpent was more crafty. Let's say that again. The serpent was more crafty. In other words, it's describing this unusual creature. And he said to the woman, did God really say? And I want to tell you something. He hasn't changed the question right up to now. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Notice that God had never said they shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden. The Lord had said you shouldn't eat from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But notice he's already starting to twist things. Did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat tree from the fruit that's in the middle of the garden, and you mustn't touch it or you will die. I think that's a little bit of uh, an exaggeration of what God said. And then boldly, this talking serpent says, you will not die. And always works like that. And in fact, what's interesting, if you go to the very next verse, it seems as though he suggests that if you disobey God, you'll actually benefit from it. You see, because sin is always made out to be something pleasant. So he said, for God knows that when you eat of it, verse 5, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. I found, for many of us as Christians, we know about the enemy. I think we need to give a lot more attention to what he's up to. And and I, I, I do want to stress this. I don't believe there's a devil behind every tree. But I think he's way, way more active than what we realize. In circumstances and situations, at work, in your home, amongst friends, in the church, and in our nation. That's why when Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says this to them, For you wrestle not against what? What's flesh and blood? That's us, the natural world. Why does he say that? Because we always seem to get our heads around the fact it is a flesh and blood battle. For we wrestle, wrestle not against flesh and blood, and, uh, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Isn't it interesting? He says, your battle. My battle. Not somebody else's. 
or the battle that God has had, our battle. You're in a battle, I'm in a battle, we're at war. Do you know that? We're at war, and the battle is against those spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Paul goes on and he, he describes the devil in a slightly different way in Corinthians. He says, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Now, you know what strikes me about that? Sometimes Satan has a religious guise. He looks very religious and he sounds very religious. And even his followers masquerade as angels of light. In other words, you and I are going to bump into people that sound very religious and very spiritual, but they're actually buying into the devil's teachings. That's what we're being reminded of over there. Peter says this. Be self- yeah, by the way, Peter's talking to Christians. Be self-controlled and alert for your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The pic- you know what the picture of devour is? Have you ever seen a, a snake eat a whole buck? You've seen those pictures? The snake will have the- That's the word he's using. He comes, he wants to swallow us up. He wants to destroy our lives. Jesus himself spoke about this in Matthew 10. He says, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, the question you've got to ask yourself is, where are we bumping into this in society? Well, I want to suggest to you one of the places is in the media. That the media is trying to downplay the devil. There is a program, you can watch it on Netflix, called The Good Witch. I didn't know witches and good go together. But it seems like they can. Have you heard the question of our culture? How can you ask me to believe God if God allows all the suffering? Do you notice God's now the, the origin of suffering and pain? Have you noticed that our society is now downplaying the consequences of sin? It doesn't matter if you sin. You can get away with it. It's not going to do too much damage. And Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He says... We are not unaware of the devil's schemes. When he was writing to the Corinthians, I want you to listen to this this very carefully. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not what? Give the devil a foothold. That's written to believers. And the Living Free Course teaches that Satan continues to try and gain a foothold or a stronghold in believers' lives that they need to be alert to. Let me put it to you like this, because this is something I'm very passionate about this course because it's helped me so much. As a Christian, the devil cannot possess you, okay? But the devil will seek to gain a foothold or a stronghold in your life. It's just a vantage point from which he can manipulate you. And that happens when we don't take God's word seriously, and then we end up in a place where there's a stronghold or a foothold in our lives. And I'll talk a little bit more about how to deal with that. But then Genesis goes on, Genesis 3 goes on to talk about the way that Adam and Eve tried to deal with their sin. 
deal with their disobedience when they disobey God. And I think it's helpful to talk about the kind of ungodly choices we are tempted with because they go far deeper than we realize. I, I think most people know in the church you shouldn't commit adultery, get into pornography, steal, rob, lie. Those are the big things we all know about. I want to talk to you about some of the subtle things that we over, often overlook. You see, the Bible teaches that Satan is an angel of light. Remember, and I think it might be there somewhere, uh, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so we need to be alert to this kind of thing. Because underlying what Satan wants to do, there is brokenness, there is division, there is shame, and there is fear. Do you know one of the most common things that believers struggle with? is unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. Do you know that all of those things are sin and sinful? I remember a couple of years ago, I was going through a particular, particularly difficult time and that involved a few individuals and kind of reasoned it out, figured it all out, and said, okay, well, I need to be understanding. This is what's happening here and there and everywhere. And sort of parked it and left it. And, and, and it, it, it might have been even a year or more later. As I was praying one day, God said, you are sitting with unforgiveness in your life. I said, boy, Lord, how can you say that? And the Lord reminded me of the names of the people that I'd been thinking about. He said, them and them and them. I said, Lord, but... But look at what they did to me and look at the things they said and look at the things they were up to. How can you say I'm holding unforgiveness? He said, you've justified your unforgiveness by blaming them. And here I was and I share that with you because I'm the pastor. You see, it happens to all of us. We start to justify these things in our lives. And what happens at the end of the day? Not just that I've got a wrong attitude. I sit with sin in my heart where the devil has a stronghold. You see where the danger is? When you understand what's going on behind the scenes, that's all he's looking for. He's looking for a place. Listen to the scripture. This is at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. That's quite a radical statement. Do you believe the Bible? What about this one in Matthew 5? If you're offering your gift, somebody read it. I think it might have been Harry who said something. If you're offering your gift at the altar and you there remember your brother's got something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, God is quite serious about these things. And by the way, I, I wish I had time to preach a whole sermon just on that verse. But let me say, the Bible says, as far as possible, be at peace with all men. There's sometimes we can't. I think the danger we've got to be careful of is that we don't, this kind of thing doesn't become our new normal. In other words, we accept it, we start to live like that, and it's just part of our lives. But, but I want you to notice how Adam and Eve responded. And there are three key
key things that I want to, and if we can put the next slide up there, Chris, there are three sort of key things that, that kick in. The first one is a cover-up. Remember, they covered their nakedness. The eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made a covering for themselves. And suddenly, for the first time, they feel vulnerable, they're shame, and they feel exposed. Now, I want to ask you, ask you this question. How is it that Adam and Eve are naked and feel no shame and after they sin, suddenly they are ashamed of their nakedness. What happened? What happened that this thing that had no shame for them, now they sin, they're embarrassed, they're sewing fig leaves together, they're hiding away because they are full of shame. What happened? I'll tell you what. Sin always distorts your perspective of reality. What was good now becomes bad. And so sin has got that ability to distort our perspective of reality. Let's go to the next one. They start to blame. So you remember God confronts them. He says, like, what's going on? What have you done? Have you disobeyed me that you're hiding away from me? And so they start to blame. And, and so Eve says to him, well, you know what happened? The serpent is the one that got me into this place. I listened to the serpent. He goes to Adam. He says, Adam, you know, what have you been up to? Well, this woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit tree. And of course, they start blaming people. And isn't that one of the ways in which we try and deal with the stuff we blame other people? What I've discovered, we are all responsible for our own behavior at the end of the day. And the third thing, we hide from God. Adam and Eve were hiding away from the Lord in the evening. And I ask myself the question, do people still hide away from God? Do you think they do? I think they do. I think one of the things when, when these kind of things start to happen in our lives, we don't want to be with believers. It's one of the things I've discovered. We don't want to be in a place like this where we're fellowshipping together. We don't really want to pray anymore. We don't want to speak to God. We don't want to say to God, God, I've done this. I'm holding this in my life. Because we're hiding. And you see, that's the answer to the question, what's really going on here? What's going on in our lives? It's stuff like this. Probably the most difficult part of this message is what I want to talk about now, and it's the consequences of sin. You know, if you'd been Adam and Eve, you know, we, we often read the Bible backwards into what we read. But if we'd been there at the time, you would know that Adam and Eve had no idea of what was going to happen when they disobeyed God. They, they just went ahead and sinned and disobeyed the Lord. And they discovered something that we've all discovered. Sin affects every area of your life. It affects our relationships. It affects our peace. It affects other people around about us. It even affects the creation. That's what begins to happen. And sadly, sometimes we've given ourselves so much license to do what we do, and we just adjust and make that our new normal. And then I want you to notice what happened. 
when God saw what they'd done, he pronounced the what? A curse. Now that's a terrible word to use in church. But when God saw man's evil, he pronounced a curse. Let me tell you what affected. It affected marriage. It affected creation. It affected childbirth. It affected work. It affected their relationship with God. And they even discovered they were now going to die. Do you know that if Adam and Eve would, had never sinned, you would be alive forever? Nobody would ever die. And part of the curse and part of the consequences was what happened over there. And here's the good news, because I do want to finish with some good news. Jesus came to set us free from this stuff. You see, it's so hard to realize what God means when He says, if the Son will set you free, you'll be free indeed. He's talking about all of this stuff. That's what God came to set us free from. I guess my time is gone, so I want to just wrap this up. A few things I want to say with regards to this. Number one is this. I think most of you have heard the statement, the wages of sin is death. Have you heard that statement somewhere before? Okay. What we don't focus on enough is that Jesus came to set us free. And if you can remember this phrase, from the power of sin. He came to set us free from the power of sin, from what sin does to us, its effect on us, on our relationships, our identity, the way we see things, and our ability to trust God. What's really going on here? Well, let me tell you this. The enemy is at work. And you will still encounter him. But praise God, it says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That, that, that we need to know the truth that although we're in a battle and although the devil is at work, we may resist the enemy and he will flee from us. If you ever find yourself like I did, Getting caught in stuff like unforgiveness, resentment, blaming others, hiding from God. There's only one way to deal with it. It's the word repent. It's my golden word, by the way. Repent's not a terrible word to me. I think for a lot of Christians it, it is. It means saying, I, I failed, I've fallen short, all of those kinds. I love the word repent because I've learned just something from the Bible. The moment you repent, the enemy's power is broken. And so when you become aware of something like this, confess it. Say, God, that's me. Bring it to the Lord. Repent of it and deal with it. Because the moment you repent, his power is broken. There can be no strongholds and no footholds when his power is broken. Do you know that in Christ you have authority over the enemy? <laughs> Come on. We have authority over the enemy in Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, I share that with you for one reason this morning. Whenever I talk to Christians about the enemy, there's like, oh, 
know I'm under the attack of the enemy. Guys, you're not under the attack of the enemy. You have authority over the enemy. That's what Christ did for you. He set you free from the stuff to have authority over the enemy. Do you know why the churches in society, we have the authority of Jesus to deal with the stuff around us? That's part of our mission. Did you notice everywhere that Jesus went, he came against the enemy? Whether it was personally whether it was in a corporate sense, whether it was in his own life, he stood against the enemy so that you and I can know that we can stand against the enemy. How do you resist the enemy? Very simply, every time you obey God, every time you believe God, and every time you trust God, you stand against the enemy. It's not rocket science. Every time I make a choice to do the right thing, every time I choose to believe, every time I put faith in God, I stand against the enemy. And the Bible says when you stand against the enemy, he will flee from you. I want to wrap up with something, Harry, that you brought in earlier on. And that is this. When we come to faith in Jesus... And when we are born of the Spirit, and I want to use that phrase in particular, it means God comes into our lives with His Spirit and He changes us from the inside by His power. When that happens, He sets you free from the power of the enemy. He sets us free from what the enemy has tried to accomplish in our lives. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, you not only get saved, you get set free. I believe that God has placed this congregation in Musenberg for a reason. Tommy has the answer to your question. You've been asking for a long time. I believe God has made us to be a congregation in Musenberg so that we can be healed and bring healing to the brokenness out there. I really believe that's what God has called us, us as a congregation for. That when we are healed, we become healers to those around. You cannot tell somebody how to be healed when you're not healed yourself. Because all you can convey to them is your brokenness. But when we are healed, we become healers. Freely as you've received, so freely give. Let's be a group of people that walk in the healing power of Christ so that people out there can experience the healing as well. God wants us to receive healing so that we can become healing as well. Do you know that it's recognized that one of our great struggles at the moment, right across the world that people are facing, is this thing called depression? It's recognized by the United Nations as a worldwide sickness. I believe the church has an answer. That once we've received healing, people can find their healing in Christ. And the power of the enemy can be broken once and forever. Let's pray.